my daughter, um, she wants to be a cheerleader at her school. And then they put her on the cheerleading team. They didn't tell me. So now I don't know what it's gonna cost. I don't know where the extra money is gonna come from. But that makes her happy, and that's something I, I'm glad that she found something she is gonna enjoy doing at school. So. This mom from Jackson, Mississippi, who is both proud of and panicky about her daughter's accomplishment, is sharing a sentiment that I heard in so many of the conversations I had across the country. The grinding challenge of not knowing how you're going to pay for this bill or that uniform and the resignation that you got to do what you got to do to make it work. The level of juggling and navigation and making a way out of no way that poor people are doing is some wizard level shit. People are, as always, working hard, tolerating the intolerable and hoping for a better future despite ample evidence to the contrary. But what would happen if people's basic needs were taken care of? What if it wasn't such an unending grind? I'm Mia Birdsong, and this is episode two of More Than Enough. And believe it or not, I had three jobs at one time. And I was working at hotels and working at a fast food. And I started with my first job at Wendy's. I was making $5.25. And at the hotel, it was $5.50, cleaning rooms. So it was the same. Nobody's trying to pay you enough money to live where you can live comfortably, get all your bills paid, and everything else. I've been working since I was 16 years old, and I'm 60. So um, I know what it means to, to work. I don't want to go stand in a food pantry no more, in a food pantry line no more, because that's just not something that I want to experience anymore. Because I live day by day by checks. It's kind of hard because we don't have enough money stretched between ring and bills to help them out recreational. Where there's a will, there's a way. Well, am I going to hold this off to get this done? My babysitter, she actually takes care of the children more than I do. So basically my babysitter's raising my niece and nephew and my three kids because I'm barely home. I can actually spend, you know, some more time with my family and my children and my husband. You know, maybe he won't have to work in the field six days a week. But at the moment I'm on transactional uh, food sales, which is going to be shut off soon. When that stops, you know, how am I going to feed all these children? We're killing ourselves working as much as we do as it is. What you just heard was part of a tour I did, traveling across the country talking about guaranteed income with folks who are struggling to make ends meet. Each of those voices connects back to hours of conversation that I had in Durham, North Carolina, Jackson, Mississippi, and up and down California. Each one of them highlighting the wisdom and perspectives of people who are all too often left out of economic policy discussions. The last voice was a mother from Stockton, California. She is doing all of the things we tell people they need to do to get ahead. She's working overtime, she's making plans, she's pitching in to take care of extended family. But she's about to lose her apartment. It's clearly almost impossible for her to sustain, much less move forward. Her story exemplifies just how perverse it is that people are told to work harder and sacrifice more, and then they get shit for not spending more time with their families or taking perfect care of their health. When I hear her story, it could not be clearer to me that our existing approaches to alleviate poverty are not working the way they should. And so I have to ask, 
why don't we make it easier? What's keeping us from making sure that all of us have our basic needs met? My friend Aisha Nyandoro, who works in her hometown of Jackson, Mississippi, is asking a lot of these same questions. Like me, she is wondering how, instead of punishing people, we might actually create policies and programs that genuinely support them. She's wondering what might happen if we gave people more space for self-determination. Aisha partners with Black moms who live in public housing. She co-designed and is now piloting a guaranteed income project with these women. Here she is talking about how she came to this work. All of my work has really been towards poverty alleviation. And I've been going at a policy, systematic, program development, implementation approach to that work. So what I've realized that, you know, shit, none of this is working, just <laughs> um, to be honest. I'm not having the impact that I know that families need. And I'm constantly seeing families that look like me, you know, brown families, black families, family narrative is very similar to my family narrative, constantly seeing them dying on the vine and having some social responsibility for that and really feeling um, in pain by that reality. So a couple of years ago, it really struck me. I'm like, you know, people just need money. Just point blank, period. We just need to give folks cash and let them figure out what to do with it. Well, lo and behold, in my research, I came to figure out that nobody wants to give poor people cash. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) You know, it's bananas to me, but it's a whole other story. Um, you know, it goes back to that narrative and that us versus them mentality that we set up where we don't trust low-income families and we have put ourselves on these pedestals. And thinking about giving individuals cash is really how I found out about universal basic income and a guaranteed income. And I was like, you know, that would be the answer to all of the problems that the families that I work with have. So I want to emphasize what Aisha is saying because I've seen it repeatedly and it gets ignored or excused. Many of the social and economic policies we put in place to help people who are struggling to make ends meet do not help the way they should. Often, they just create additional challenges. A big part of why they don't work is because the people who create and run programs and services don't trust poor people. Instead of trust... They devise hurdles people must navigate to prove they are worthy of support. For example, in some states, in order to get a childcare voucher, you must be working or in school. But processing vouchers can take months, and you can't go to work or go to school without childcare. Another example is SNAP, commonly known as food stamps. There are so many restrictions on what you can and can't buy, like no hot food or vitamins or low-fat peanut butter. In some places, the list of things changes monthly. To be clear, I'm not suggesting that we get rid of the social safety net system, but we should design it in a way that trusts the people who use it. Right now, these rules aren't set up to support the way people live their actual lives. If you can't go to work or get your family hot food after you've come home at the end of a long day, your life just becomes difficult in a different way instead of becoming easier. Aisha trusts the experience and wisdom of the women she works with. Her approach respects self-determination. This orientation is part of her family's values. That sense of history and place is deeply embedded in the project, even in its name, the Magnolia Mothers Trust. When I think about Magnolia, it goes back to my grandmother. Um, And my grandmother was a civil rights agent, social justice warrior here in Mississippi and in the Southeast region. When she first moved into our family home, um, when we moved from the Delta, moved to Jackson, she planted a magnolia tree in our front yard. 
to sort of give our families roots to make sure that we were now planted um, within our community. Guaranteed income is a good idea because it works. There's 30 years of research, from previous pilots to analysis of existing programs, that tells us this. And the more we talk about it, the more we have to look closely at our economy's rigged systems and ask ourselves, why do we accept this? In the broadest of strokes, it is abundantly clear that we are not winning the war on poverty. And we are not winning the war on poverty mostly because we have made poor people the target of that war. Aisha shows us that we can be much smarter and way more generous. This project is really proposing to give, you know, low-income women, I'm not talking about working-class, middle-class folks, I am talking about folks who are extremely low-income, and that means making less than $12,000 annually. You know, giving them $1,000 a month to do whatever it is that they want, knowing that they know better than anyone what they need for themselves and their families. So whether or not they want to use that money to go back to school, want to use that money to get employment, um, use that money to get a car so they can actually get to their employment, whether or not they want to use that money to support their kids, whatever it is that they want with that, giving them the ability to have that cash to do that. But I'm also saying that another piece of that is just not the cash. I believe that the cash is important because it frees up your bandwidth. If you don't have to constantly think about or worrying about an emergency or Think about, you know, the brilliance that will manifest. My big hypothesis within all of this, you know, what leadership innovation could manifest without the constant need for survival? Will these women, once again, be able to show up within their communities and be the community change agents, get involved with their local school boards, get reengaged within politics? I believe that will happen beyond just the economic aspect. I believe there are all these other social norms and community changes that, that will occur as well. Aisha knows that the women she works with deserve so much more. She knows that when you trust people to make good decisions, it's good for them and their whole community. These women are warriors. We should actually trust mothers. We have so many examples of strong Black women leading the way in history that I truly believe that if we just begin to support women with what it is that they need, we can begin to, you know, cause a systematic change. We can make it a reality. In addition to the critical truth of Black women's excellence, part of what Aisha points toward is that self-determination, our ability and desire to make choices about what our lives look like, is restricted when it comes to poor people. And this is to our collective detriment. Whether a person might become a powerful agent for social change or seek out their dreams as an artist, it does no one any good when we hold people back by not providing more equitable access to resources. Here's another person that I spoke with in Stockton, California, whose direct experience with these economic hurdles is holding them back from their dreams. For my life, creating a process where eviction doesn't affect getting a place to live because that's mm. been my burden even though my eviction is paid off there's no one willing to uh, any uh, property management that's willing to work with me even though it's been paid off mm. six years ago my life includes my family so my children um, making sure that I have enough money so they can go to college and it increases every semester I'm a writer I would love to be able to take my children to other countries um, to learn, you know, the culture. Um, but I would love to write about that experience, getting to know other people. Um, but also, I would live my life as a writer just to talk about people, um, tell people's story about struggle. Because my lifelong dream is to be a ghostwriter um, for people in their story. We 
have resources, but we have not enough resources in our community when it comes to housing or mm -hmm. food, shelter. Um, it's such it's such a disgrace that we live in such a surplus world. Her story about how the eviction she has on her record stands in the way of her dreams, even though she paid it off six years ago, made me so angry. It also made me realize how much my own thinking has changed when it comes to people having what they need. The reaction I had in college that guaranteed income was ridiculous came from this deep American cultural belief that people must prove they are worthy of having their most basic needs met. And now, several decades later, Part of what I like most about guaranteed income is it forces us to wrestle with our beliefs about what we deserve. If you believe, as I do, that everyone deserves the things we need to live, then we should expect our government and leaders to deliver on that. Guaranteed income's underlying ideology of self-determination provides us with a starting place to fix a lot of our other systems. Right now, we basically have two separate systems, one for poor people and one for everyone else. For example, when I bought my home in 2010, I just bought it. I got a life insurance payment when my dad died earlier that year, which I used for a down payment. Because I had that money, the system worked well for me, like I deserved a house. Mortgage approved, keys exchanged, the end. No questions about my facility with money. Access to money meant I was left alone to do what I wanted. On top of that, I qualified for a state-run first-time homebuyers program that gave me $10,000 no strings attached. Then I think about a family that I worked with years ago. They too wanted to access a first-time homebuyers program. This one was city-run and specifically for low-income families. But in order to just find out if you even qualified, you had to go through 30-something hours of classes and all the adults in the household had to attend. This family spent months completing the classes, hauling themselves around town on the bus and navigating their work schedules and making sure someone else was home to take care of their kids. So they finally finish all the classes and they have an appointment with a program counselor to determine their eligibility. In this 10-minute meeting, they were told they didn't qualify. After all of that effort, they didn't even qualify. Can you imagine if the bank made you go through 30 hours of classes before they'd tell you if you qualified for a mortgage? This family worked way harder than I did to realize their dream of homeownership. But I had cash, so I got a house. As I've said before, and as Aisha made so clear, part of what doesn't work about our approach to solving economic inequality is that we've decided poor people are the problem. Across this vast network of policies and programs like SNAP and housing assistance, we've constructed systems that require people to repeatedly justify their requests for support. We pretend that the rules and requirements are set up to prevent fraud or somehow get people to prove that they're responsible. But it's really just tap dancing and hoop jumping. So many of the folks I talked with are working so hard and struggling so much to meet needs that none of us should ever have to worry about, certainly not in this wealthy nation. We can only do better when we recognize that the people who are struggling are not the problem. We need to make it easier. One of the things I most appreciate about guaranteed income is it starts from a place of trusting people to know what will make their lives easier and opens up space for self-determination with one of the most necessary tools in American life, cash. What would it be like if you just got the money you needed, no questions asked? What if we trusted people 
a little bit more. More Than Enough was developed by Next River Productions, created and hosted by me, Mia Birdsong. Audio engineering and music by Nino Michella. Script development and production by Allison Cook. The content of this podcast was informed by the stories of hundreds of people across the country, only some of whom you heard from. Thank you to everyone who took their time to speak with me and share their story. Support for the production of More Than Enough was provided by a few generous folks and the Economic Security Project, an organization advancing cash-based interventions in the United States and reining in corporate monopolies. More Than Enough is a project of The Nation magazine. 